Okay, so as I started saying, we are um, doing our last class now on the Yud Gimel Ikri Emuna, the 13 principles of faith, the way that the Rambam put them together and became accepted by Klal Yisro, um, and so many um, people, so many Yidans say that every day, and they're dominating the 13 Animamins. We pointed out all the way at the beginning, although it's not the Minhag <coughs> in Chabad, for whatever reason, the Alter Rebbe did not put in his Siddur to say the Animamins after davening. But in no way does that diminish the fact that these are the 13 principles of our Amunah, of our faith. And that's why we spent, what is it, today, the 18th or the 19th shir. So we spent um, the majority of this uh, last number of months going through them one by one and in detail. Baruch Hashem, the 13 Ikrim. The last two was uh, number 12 and 13 were devoted to Mashiach. The 12th foundation of our faith is Animam in Beviasa Mashiach, the belief in Mashiach. And not only to believe in it as uh, something that will be at some point, but as Rambam is very clear, but that we await his coming. And that's um, expressed so clearly in our davenings, that our shmanesres, our davenings are full, not only of an expression of belief in something that will be, but in an expression of yearning, yearning and waiting and anticipating, as Klal Yisrael always did for Mashiach and as we get closer to Mashiach, that anticipation only grows. And we know that the Rebbe always made that really a center of what the Rebbe spoke about and what the Rebbe did. Everything was all leading up to the coming of Mashiach. So it's something that definitely is, we're waiting for it every day. Every day Hashem should help already that we should see it. So, so principle 12 is the belief in Mashiach and the awaiting His coming. And principle 13 is devoted to Tachiyah Samesim, the resurrection of the dead. And we already had two shiurim on Tchiyas Amesim, and today will be our third and final shir on this fascinating and inspiring subject of what we await for is the resurrection of all dead. Everyone, and whether those that we know and those that we don't know, all the way back to Lavram Avinu, Tchiyas Amesim. So, last week, what we were discussing primarily based on a letter that the Rebbe wrote in 1943, um, and we were discussing the Rebbe is contending that everyone will have Tchiyas HaMesim. And we discussed that a uh, number of different approaches how to see that. Because you have people who seemingly um, were, were Rishoyim, were wicked, and did not seem to observe Torah and mitzvahs. And yet, the Rebbe was very clearly of the Shita, of the opinion, and based on Chazal, of course, that every person will have Tchiyas HaMesim. And we went through a number of steps and ways how that can be. We talked about the fact that a person, a very wicked person, may have done shuva, and shuva has the power to atone. We talked about the schus of children, or grandchildren, descendants who do mitzvahs on their behalf, and how that has tremendous power for a neshama. We talked about how not even children, even another yid, even someone who wasn't related, but another yid is able to do mitzvahs and schusim for a, for a person who passed on, and that's another way that that person can be brought to shuva. And then we talked about various types of shame. I'm sorry? We talked about that sometimes the person, the deceased person is shamed and embarrassed, and that's a form of atonement. That will bring Tchiyas HaMesim. All of these were different ideas that were there to explain how even one who may not have been worthy for it through the deeds of his lifetime, nevertheless, Hashem sees to it, as we brought the Pasuk from Yeshayahu, that ultimately nothing will be lost from Hashem. And every person that was born with a neshama, with a part of Hashem, 
that neshama cannot ever be ultimately lost. So as far as that neshama may have roamed, and as deep as in exile it may have come, ultimately, um, Hashem orchestrates events in a way that that neshama will, will, will be brought back. So I want to continue on that note for a little bit, because, and of course the Ashkocha process is always so amazing, that this week's Parsha itself has a tremendous lesson about Chiyas HaMesim. And that is, in this, this week's Parsha is the Parsha of Shlach, at least if you're listening outside of Israel. Um, in Israel, they're one parsha ahead of us. But for, I think, all the people that are on the call right here, this week's parsha is Shalach. And Shalach is the, is the great, sad story of the Miraglim. And here you have an entire generation of Klal Yisrael that on the one hand, they were an amazing generation of people. This is the generation that left Mitzrayim. This is the generation that experienced Matan Torah and Kriyas Yamsuf. And somehow, and as many explanations as there are, it always seems to defy our logic, but somehow this great generation was able to fall in the test of the Miraglum. So in the Miraglum, the spies come back and they tell the Jewish people, we're not going to be able to conquer Eretz Yisrael. And the, uh, the the majority of the people fall for the Miraglum. Um, you know, I've said many times, the women did not, as it says clearly, that the women did not fall for the, for the, uh, the ideas of the Miraglum. And neither did Shevet Levi. Shevet Levi was even the men, right? And as I've told you, I'm from Shevet Levi, and you're women, so we're all we're good. But everyone else somehow fell for the uh, chet of the miraglim. They fell for the um, for the sin of the miraglim. So we have an interesting Mishnah in the end of Tractate Sanhedrin, Masechta Sanhedrin, and the Mishnah says that Rabbi Akiva, no less than Rabbi Akiva, says Doir Hamidbar Ein Lahem Chelak LaOlam Haba. That that entire, entire generation of the Midbar, the generation that died in the Midbar, will not have a portion in Olam Haba. In other words, that they're not coming back. And he um, he learns it from Sukim. Um, the Pasuk says, in this week's Parsha, it says, when Hashem is angry at the Dirha Midbar, that generation, he says, Bamidbar yitamu visham yamusu. That in this Midbar they will end, and here they will die. So there's this seeming apparent redundancy. You know, you don't die twice. So Rabbi Akiva says that this means that that der, the generation of the Midbar, not only they died once, but they're dying a second time because they won't have Tchiyas HaMesim. That's what Rabbi Akiva said. However, Rabbi Eliezer, who Rabbi Eliezer was actually one of Rabbi Akiva's teachers. Rabbi Eliezer was the primary disciple of Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai, and he was the teacher, the Rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, and he disagrees he says it's not true. He says the Deir Midbar will also have Tchiyas Hamesim, and he brings Psukim to back him up. He brings uh, verses. He says the pasuk says Isfuli Chasidai Kersebrisi from Tehillim. He says those who made the covenant with me by Matan Torah they will have Olam Haba. We also say we say in davening of Rosh Hashanah that Hashem says He always remembers the belief, the amuna of the Deir Midbar that they left Mitzrayim and went to the Midbar following Hashem, not knowing how they would eat, how they would drink, how they would live. We say, Hashem says, I remember always that love that you showed for me. You followed me into the Midbar, into the desert, a land that wasn't sown, a land that wasn't planted. So Rabbi Eliezer says, he argues with Rabbi Akiva, and he says that there's no question that the Dera Midbar will also have Tchiyas HaMesim. And in that section of the Gemara, we have an interesting statement of another one of the sages of the Gemara, 
He's called Rabba Barbarchana. That's how he's called in the Gemara. And Rabba Barbarchana says, he says, he says, Rabbi Akiva, typically you're such a chassid. You're so kind. You're so pious. And here you forgot your chassidus. Shafke Rabbi Akiva la Rabbi Barachana says that this, that you're so harsh, that you're maintaining that the Dera Midbar won't go into Elam Haba, at this moment, says Rabbi Barachana, you forgot your Hasidus. And, and the Rebbe says that by saying that the Halacha was, um, was decided in the favor of Rabbi Eliezer, not Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Eliezer who says that the Dera Midbar will have Elam Haba. And in fact, the Rebbe quotes a number of Midrashim where it says that Moshe Rabbeinu himself, who we know, never made it into Eretz Yisrael, so the Medrash says, why didn't he make it into Eretz Yisrael? Because he's not going to come into Eretz Yisrael until he comes with his generation, with his nation. Which indicates clearly that they're going to have Tchiyas HaMesim. It's that generation. Moshe Rabbeinu's generation is the Der Hamidbar. And therefore, the Rebbe says that even though there is this debate between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yezer, two of the greatest sages of the Mishnah, about the generation of the Midbar, the accepted halachic opinion we follow Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Barachana, that definitely that entire generation will also have a chilek and elam haba. It's an interesting idea. Why is it that this generation specifically, their sin more than any other, is singled out to make them questionable of being deserving of Tchiyas HaMesim? The Rebbe explains very beautifully because we, we've talked, we discussed in the past, I think it was two weeks ago, or two shiurim ago, that the beauty of Tchiyas HaMesim is that the neshama will come down into the body specifically bringing out that the purpose is that the spirit, the spiritual should be connected with the physical. And Hasidus explains that was the problem with the Der Hamidbar. The generation of the desert didn't want to go into Eretz Yisrael. They wanted to be separate from the physical. They wanted to live in a desert. They wanted to just have a spiritual life. And that's why they were, so to speak, tampering with Tchiyas HaMesim. Because if they're saying that all we're looking is for spirituality, then Tchiyas HaMesim is the opposite of that. And that's why there was a question about them. And that's why there was this debate between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Eliezer. But again, the halacha, says the Rebbe, is that that der definitely will have their portion in Tchiyas HaMesim and Olam Haba as well. The Rebbe goes one step further. And that is, so the Mishnah says there is this debate between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Eliezer about the der Hamidbar. But what about the Miraglim themselves? Those ten Miraglim, those ten spies, who they were the ones who really instigated this entire sin instigated the Jewish people against Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Mishnah says, the Miraglim for sure will not have a chilek l'elam haba. That's what the Mishnah says. So if one does a simple reading of the Mishnah, when it comes to the generation of the Midbar, it's a debate, Rabbi Akiva versus Rabbi Eliezer. But when it comes to the Miraglim themselves, the Mishnah seems to be quite clear that the Miraglim themselves do not have a part in l'elam haba. Says the Rebbe though, and here the Rebbe is always, well, to, to Milam is chus for every single yid. And he says, he found a Zohar. That from the Zohar it's evident that the Miraglim will also have a chilek in Elam Haba. Even the Miraglim themselves, even those who instigated against Moshe Rabbeinu, will also have a chilek in Elam Haba. And the question is, how to reconcile? How do we reconcile what it says in the Zohar, that the, from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yichai, that the Miraglim will have a part in Olam Haba, in Tchiyas HaMesim, versus what the Mishnah maintains that they won't. Now, it could be a debate. The Zohar and the Mishnah is really the same sages. You have to remember, the Zohar is written by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was one of the sages of the Mishnah. So it could be an argument. But the Rebbe says it doesn't have to be an argument. 
The Rebbe explains the following, and this is a very important point. He says, when it says in the Mishnah, that miraglim, or people that are so wicked, won't have a part in Tchiyas HaMesim, what it means is that their neshama will not come back in their guf, in their body. In other words, normally Tchiyas HaMesim, as we'll t- discuss shortly, is the resurrection of the neshama in that body that the neshama lived in. Says the Rebbe, that when the Mishnah says the miraglim were so wicked that they're not deserving of Tchiyas HaMesim, it means that their bodies have been totally removed from being able to come back. But the neshama, again, every yid has a part of Hashem. And that part of Hashem can't ever get lost. So the neshama will come back, but it will be in a new, in a different goof, in a different body. And that's how the Rebbe reconciles that apparent contradiction between the Zohar and the Mishnah. That the Mishnah said that the Miraglim are not going to have a part of Tchiyas HaMesim. And the Zohar says that they will. Does it have to be an argument? Says the Rebbe, no. They're talking about two different aspects. The Mishnah is saying that they won't have Tchiyas HaMesim like a regular Yid, like the vast majority of Yidin, that their Nishama will come back into their Guf. And the Miraglim won't have Tchiyas HaMesim because their Guf is not coming back. Yet the Zohar says that they will have Tchiyas HaMesim as well. The Zayar is referring to the Neshama. And the Neshama of every Yid, no matter what, cannot be lost and will come back in one form or another. And that idea is something that the Rebbe uses to, to explain, because there are certain um, sources, certain quotes about certain wicked people that they were so wicked that they're not having any Olam Haba, any Tchiyas HaMesim. So the Rebbe's response to that is, that when it says about someone that they're so wicked they're not having every, anything, that means that their guf is lost. But their neshama nevertheless still has to come back, as again, based on that pasuk of kiliyidach mimenu nidach, that ultimately, ultimately every neshama um, will have tchiyas amesim. So that's how the Rebbe deals with that. Uh, before I finish this part of the conversation, I'll tell you one uh, beautiful idea, um, and that is the, one of the great uh, disciples of the Arizal, his name was Reb Menachem Azaria of Panu. Panu is a city, and he's called many times by uh, an acronym, the Rameh of Panu. And he wrote a lot about Gilgul, he wrote a lot about reincarnation, um, and he writes that when Rabbi Akiva said that the Dorham Midbar, the generation of the Midbar, won't have a chilek and Elam Haba, what Rabbi Akiva really meant was that they were on such a high madrega that they don't even need Elam Haba. Now, they're so connected to Hashem that even that they're already there, so to speak. That's how he came from a totally different angle, and he gave a Kabbalistic interpretation into those words of Rabbi Akiva, and the Rebbe mentions that idea as well. But be that as it may, what we have over here is just uh, to conclude, concluding the ideas of last week, how the Rebbe maintains that ultimately every Yid, no matter what, will have his portion in Elam Habba, his portion of Tchiyas HaMesim, again, using all the various steps and methods that we've explained, whether tshuva, whether the avoid of children, friends, whether uh, embarrassment and pain, now we're having the most extreme form where the guf is lost, but the neshama will return because Kilo Yidach Mimenonidach. Okay, so that's as far as that and connecting it to the Pasha of the week as well. I want to go. I want to go through with you a little bit just facts about Tchias Amesim, um, questions and basic facts that are important to know. We don't know everything. 
um, in general, we don't know everything, but especially when we're talking about things that will happen after Mashiach comes, um, there's a lot of um, uh, you know mystery and a lot of secrets and not everything we know. Rambam writes about that. He says that ultimately exactly what will be and how will be, we'll know when we see it. Um, but nevertheless, certain basic ideas and facts are written in the Zohar and different Gemaras, and I want to go through them with you now for the remainder of our shir. And, to, and what I'm going to say now is based on another fascinating, lengthy letter from the Rebbe that he wrote two years later. The letter that we were focusing on last week was from 1943, where the Rebbe writes about Chiyas HaMesim. And tonight, I'm focusing on a letter from 1945. This is all before he assumed the mantle of leadership, and he was working as the right hand um, of his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe. And at that point, he was answering many questions in Halacha, in Gemara, in Kabbalah. And he wrote these two letters about Chiyas HaMesim. Um, the one I read last week was is printed in the first volume of the Rebbe's Igres, so the Rebbe's letters, and the one I'm going to talk, I'm going to be talking about now is printed in the second volume of the Rebbe's letters. And I know one of you asked last week if these letters are in English, and I said I'm quite certain it was. Did anybody look for it? You're you're mute. I I don't hear what you're saying. I looked for it online, but I couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Okay. Billy, I'll try to find it. I'm, I'm quite certain. That I um, that it is in English. I'll try. Okay, okay, okay. I'll give a look. I just I have to, if you have to give me information on how to send you um, when I find okay. it. Okay. Okay. Um, so in this letter, the rabbit deals with questions. What is gonna be? How are things gonna work by Tachias Hamesim? And he breaks it up into a number of different points. Again, some of which I'm going to share now. The first is the timetable. What's the timetable when Mashiach comes for Tachias Hamesim? Okay. So, here is the very basic timetable. The first big thing that's going to happen when Mashiach comes is that the Beis HaMikdash is going to be built. That is first. That's the first big... Is that before Mashiach comes or Mashiach is going to build it? No, Mashiach is going to build the Beis HaMikdash. Rambam is very clear about that. The Mashiach, when he comes, that will be the first big thing that he's going to do is build the Beis HaMikdash. And, of course, there is... The famous question that I'm not going to go into now, and that is that according to some Midrashim, the Beis HaMikdash will come from heaven. Rambam talks about Mashiach building it himself, how to reconcile that. It's really a discussion for itself. Um, most likely, according to most answers, there will be a, a fusion of both. Something that will descend from heaven and some amount or level of building that we will be involved with as well. Be that as it may, first will be Binyan Beis HaMikdash. After that is Kibbutz Goluyos, and that's the ingathering of the exiles, when Klal Yisrael is brought together in Eretz Yisrael. Um, this is you, an, mean the, you, mean, you, mean, you mean the end of it, or just the... Because it started already. I'm talking about when everyone comes. We're talking about when everyone comes to Eretz Yisrael, right? So that's the Kibbutz okay. Goluyos, the final bringing everyone together, like we daven in Arshman Esrei, uh, right, to bring everyone together. Um, interestingly, and again, I'm not going to go off into that tangent either, just to mention that that alone is a debate, whether the building the Beis HaMikdash is first or the ingathering of the exiles is first. But the more accepted approach is first the Beis HaMikdash and then the ingathering of the exiles. Only a period of time after that is Tachiyas HaMesim. So again, there's already a Beis HaMikdash, the Jewish people are already in Eretz Yisrael, and after that will be Tachiyas HaMesim. How long after? will be Tchiyas HaMesim. So, the most authoritative number given, and that's in the Zayar, is 40 years. 
Zayar talks about the number 40. Um, in fact, you know, interestingly, throughout Torah, we have the significance of the number 40. Again, this week's parsha, we're 40 years in the desert. Uh, Moshe Rabbein is in the mountain 40 days. 40 is a significant number. The Zayar says that there is 40 years till Tchiyas HaMesim. However, does that mean that that will be the beginning of Tchiyas HaMesim or the end of a process of Tchiyas HaMesim is subject to differences of opinion. Um, additionally, the Gemara says that certain Sadikim will arise immediately. Sadikim kamim miyad or kamim la'alter. So there is a lot of lack of um, clarity exactly how long it will take and who will come first and who will come second. But somehow the entire process of Tchiyas HaMesim, says the Zahar, is a 40-year process from after the returning of the exiles. So again, to, just to be clear, there definitely are people who come back before the 40 years. And there's the concept of tzaddikim that come right away. And it seems that many will come at some point between that beginning and 40 years. But the 40-year number is from the Zahar and de- definitely symbolizes a completion of Tchiyas HaMesim. Okay, where will Tchiyas HaMesim be? Where will key people come back alive? And the Rebbe brings there a number of interesting sources that Tchiyas HaMesim will only be in Eretz Yisrael. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that all the vast majority of the Jewish people that are buried or their remains are outside of Eretz Yisrael won't have Tchiyas HaMesim, Chas v'sholem. But what it means is that all of the bodies will be brought to Eretz Yisrael and only there will there be Tchiyas. So we have a special gift. We know Eretz Yisrael is the holiest place in the world. And one of the specialties, one of the gifts of Eretz Yisrael is that the power of Tchiyas HaMesim will come forth there. And it says that the remains will travel through the earth, under earth, in various tunnels, in various uh, forms, how Hashem will do it, and bring everyone back to Eretz Yisrael. Then in Eretz Yisrael is where the actual revival will take place. Um, even Rashi and Chumash writes that that's one of the reasons why Yaakov of Vinu asked to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And as we know historically, there's something that exists till today that there are many people who ask to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And one of the reasons for that is, is to avoid that extra step of making it to Eretz Yisrael in order to have Tchiyas HaMesim. Now, is that um, a message that that's what everyone is supposed to do? Not necessarily at all. We know from our Rabbeim that they didn't do that. Our Rabbeim are all buried outside of Eretz Yisrael and did not make it an issue. But nevertheless, there is this concept that Tchiyas HaMesim happens in Eretz Yisrael. Why? What, what is it about Eretz Yisrael more than any place else that's the place that's designated for Tchiyas HaMesim? So the Rebbe brings an interesting statement again from the Zayhar. And the Zayhar says that Hashem promised everlastingness to Eretz Yisrael. Hashem said that this land will always be the center of the world. This land will never be ultimately destroyed. Although Eretz Yisrael has been the focus of untold amounts of battles and wars and destruction, ultimately Eretz Yisrael has the promise of, of, um, of Nitzchiyus, of an everlasting nature. And therefore, when Hashem is going to revive the bodies in a way that they become everlasting, that has to be in the place that has that koyach, that power of nitzchiyos, of everlasting nature. And that is in Eretz Yisrael. So that's as far as where it will be. Okay, next, famous question that's asked, and I'm sure that many of you may have heard that many times, and that is, what about Gilgulim? 
right? What about reincarnations? We know one of a foundational teaching of the Arizal, based on the Zayhar again, but the Arizal is the one who really um, talked about this and wrote about this a great deal, is that a neshama can come back to the world a second time and a third time and a fourth time, and that is very, very common. And in fact, the vast majority of neshamas come down to the world a number of times. So the question is, okay, when Tchiyas HaMesim comes, happens, so which one will come back? If Neshama came down first as uh, Yankel, and then as Mendel, and then as David, and then as Beryl, so, so okay, so who, who's getting So who's getting up? And the answer is that all of them, every body that the Neshama came down in will get up, because the reason that the Neshama came down so many times is because each time the Neshama wasn't fully yet misukon, um, fully corrected. And therefore, each body will arise with the part of the neshama that it completed during its lifetime. So that one neshama might be, when Mashiach comes, five people, or eight people, or ten people. Oh now, so if you'll ask, well, then, well, is it only going to be a half a person, or a third of a person, or a person that has weak energy because he's only a tenth? The answer is no, of course not. A neshama doesn't become less when you cut it in half just as a candle that you light a second and a third and a fourth candle from, so each flame doesn't become smaller. A flame doesn't become smaller when there becomes two of the same flame. And the same is with a neshama. A neshama is a power, a part of Hashem and a power of life. And every part of a neshama can be the fullness of life for a person. And therefore, the Rebbe tells us in that letter, um, and again, to everything that the Rebbe says in this letter, he brings a tremendous amount of footnotes and sources, but he tells us that every one, every life, every person that lived in this world, even though he might, may, may have been a second time around, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, all of them will come back in Tchiyas HaMesim when Mashiach will come. Okay, next point. I'm sorry, if I'm rushing because I'm trying to get through all the points over here. Next point is, Okay, so the neshama, the person will um, uh, get up, be revived. How will that person look? Um, and what if when the person died, the person was blind? So when they get up, are they blind? Like, what? how does that work? Now, practically speaking, um, what is the person going to get up wearing? Says the, um, the Rebbe, bringing from Midrashim. And he says... The person will wake up, will be revived the way that they died. So if they were blind, they will be revived blind. If they're deaf, they'll be revived deaf, um, lame, mute, whatever it is. And then Hashem will heal everybody. And that's where it says that Asid HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that in the future Hashem will take the sun out of its shield and that will be the healing power for all of those who are sick, all the people who are sick now, and all those who will be revived with their various sicknesses. They'll all be healed then by what the what the Medrash says is the unshielded son of Hashem. Interestingly, we find in Chumash that when Yaakov Avinu was um, wounded by Esau's angel, and Yaakov was uh, wounded by the Gid Hanasha, and it says then, the Pasuk says, Vayizrach lo Hashemesh, the sun shone for him. 
Chazal say that at that point Hashem unshielded the sun and healed Yaakov with the rays of the unshielded sun. And those same rays of an unshielded sun um, are the ones that are going to heal the sicknesses of those who are sick nowadays, as well as those who died sick and will be revived sick, will be healed through those rays when Hashem, after Hashem Similarly, it says that they'll come dressed the way they were dressed when they were alive. That's how they're going to come back. And there's an interesting um, debate amongst commentaries that the Rebbe doesn't choose one over the other. If will they come uh, dressed in the in the uh, shrouds that they were buried, or in their typical clothing that they wore when they were alive? So the Medrash says they're going to be dressed the way they were. But does the way they were mean when they were buried, or does the way they were mean the way that they wore clothing whenever they wore? So that is two opinions on that Medrash, and the Rebbe doesn't. Um, rule one way or the other. Those are two possibilities. But again, the point though is they're going to come the way they left. They're going to come with the sicknesses that they left, with the clothing that they left, and then Hashem will heal and Hashem will clothe and give everyone whatever they needed. Okay. What about people who are alive now? Like all of us. And Mashiach will come and Emir Hashem will live through whatever time it takes, and time for Tchiyas HaMesim. So people who are alive now, how will they deal with this? Will, will anything have to happen to those people? So we mentioned it in passing last week as well. Um, I'll just say now that Reb Sadia Gaon, Reb Sadia Gaon was one of the sages who lived um, probably, probably just about a thousand years ago. And he writes, he says, that we don't really know. He says, uh, the verses don't, the psukim don't say something clearly about this. And therefore, he says, there's differences of opinion because we don't really know about the people who are alive now. How will they, so to speak, um, go into the era of Tchiyas HaMesim? Says the Rebbe, that even though Rabbi Sajigon said that, he did not have the book of the Zohar. Even though the Sefer of the Zohar was written way before Rabbi Sajigon, but as we know, it was not, most people did not have it, most people did not know of it. And the Zohar says that everyone who's alive now will have to go through a moment of death before Tachiyas HaMesim. And the reason for that, says the Zohar, is because by going to that death, we get rid of what the Zohar calls the impurities or the Zuhama of the present body. The body of Tachiyas HaMesim is a holier body. It's a reconstructed divine body and therefore is holier. And in order to get rid of that impurity of the present body, says the Zohar, one will have to go through a moment of death and have to and go through Tchiyas Amesim themselves. So that is what the Zohar says. I believe I mentioned to you last week that the Rebbe said that perhaps we can accomplish that through just a tremendous bitl, a tremendous uh, self-nullification um, to Hashem, and that way be spared even that momentary death. Um, but the Zohar says what it says. The Zohar says that there is a momentary death in order to um, get rid of the impurities of the body the way it is now. Yes? Just a quick question, because sure. I know you have a lot to cover. Um, no, 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 I appreciate yeah. it. I can breathe now. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I just wanted to know, um, like, age, like youth, young and old. So, 
you know, somebody who they're going to come back just like how they were. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then what's going to happen? Like, will we have birthdays every year? Like the people who are 30, are they going to stay 30 for the rest of their life? People who come back and they're, 80, I heard they're coming back um, as they were nifter, but then they eventually go come back as a 20-year-old, something like that, in their, in their prime. Does the Rebbe address that? Okay. Um, the, I don't know the answers to these questions. Um, I can't, if, I, I can't uh, say if the Rebbe addresses it or not because I don't know everything the Rebbe addressed. But I, in this letter that I'm reading from, the Rebbe does not address it. Does not. Um, definitely, they'll come back in the same age that they left. Definitely, at that point, they'll become healed, which means, as was just said, they'll be in their prime. Um, but as far as um, I, my assumption would be that every year there is a birthday and one grows, and one, you know, a birthday is an important day. I don't see that. I don't believe that that would stop them. But I'm not saying this based on something that I'm reading, so I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, Another point, and that was also mentioned in short in previous classes, and that is an important point. The way that the body is going to be um, revived is exactly as the word indicates. Revived, not created from new. As the Rebbe says very strongly, the word is not Berea, it's Tehiyah. Hashem is not recreating us, He's reviving us. And even though, as we know, most bodies decompose and one might not find any remains after hundreds of years or a thousand years, nevertheless, the, the DNA is still there. Okay, the, very well, the, the DNA is always there. And the Medrash says that there was something called the bone of the Luz bone, um, which might be something connected with DNA, one of, just one of those things that we find out nowadays that the Medrashim talked about so long earlier. But the Medrash says that there's a part of our body that never, ever, ever decomposes and never gets lost. And that ultimately, when the time of Tchiyas HaMesim comes, what Hashem is really doing is He's rebuilding on the part of the body that was always there. So He's not creating a new body, He's reviving and rebuilding the old body that at least a certain part of it is still there. So it's a remnant that's there which is being rebuilt. And as we know, the Medrash says something fascinating, that the only meal of the week that actually has um, a connection or gives some clock to that part of the body is Melava Malka. Melava Malka. It says <laughs> all these years. Okay, Shalashudas is a mitzvah too, but the bone, the the uh, special seuda connected with Mashiach and connected with um, Tchias Hamesim is the Malava Malka, which also incidentally is called Seudasa de David Malka Meshicha, the seuda of David Hamelach, who is the first Mashiach and the forebearer of Mashiach, and that is one of the specialties of Malava Malka. Um, it's been said, I don't know this personally, of course, but that the Rebbe always would see to it to, to wash and have something from Lava Malka, and it's a special meal connected with the coming of Mashiach in general, and specifically with Techias HaMesim. Okay, um, two more points, or three. Um, will there be a great day of judgment after Techias HaMesim? And that's uh, something that I know some people are sometimes nervous about. The Navi talks about the Yom Hadin HaGodol Vahanura. The Navi talks about this great day of judgment. And when is that judgment? And is it something that will happen after Trias HaMesim? So, there are opinions that, yes, most notably the Ramban Nachmanides, 
says that at that time there will be the ultimate great judgment. However, most disagree with Ramban. Uh, most notably the Abarbanel, Don Isaac Abarbanel, one of the great leaders of uh, Spanish Jewry, um, and the Ariza, um, who is the ultimate uh, post-sick when it comes to anything in Kabbalah, they say that any um, punishment necessary was already taken care of way before Tchiyas HaMesim. For that we have Gehenim. For that there's the different types of punishments that Hashem has for Neshama after it leaves the body or during one's lifetime pain that one goes through in their lifetime, which also serves as cleansing as and atonement. And after the Yemesa, after Tchiyas HaMesim, then there is no day of judgment. Definitely not for Klal Yisrael. If yes, it's for the enemies of the Jewish people, those who persecuted us, that then Hashem will extract his punishment from them. But as far as the Yid is concerned, for that, there was all the time until Tchiyas HaMesim. After Tchiyas HaMesim, there will not be a day of judgment. Again, so says the Abarbanel, and so rules the Arizal, and therefore that is definitely what we follow as well. Okay, finally. What's life going to be like after Tchiyas HaMesim? And here's something that might come across a little bit surprising. Um, and I want to be clear about this. When Mashiach will come, not Tchiyas you know, there's, there's there's really two eras of time. There's what's called Yimos HaMashiach. That's when Mashiach comes, and HaMashiach is here. Then there's the era of Tchiyas HaMesim, which is later, we said before, perhaps 40 years later, according to the Zayar. When Mashiach comes, we live as regular physical human beings. And we eat, and we drink, and we do whatever we do in a much holier and refined way, but we're regular, we live as regular human beings. After Tchiyas HaMesim, on the one hand, we'll be physical people in this world, but we will live a much more spiritual and different type of life. At some point, we will need to eat and drink to sustain ourselves. Um, the Rebbe quotes the Medrash that says, that then there won't be eating and drinking. Rather, it's, the, the words are tzaddikim, which amech kulam tzaddikim, all Klal Yisrael will be sitting with literally uh, reading the words, itrosehen viroshehen, the crowns on their head, nanin miziv hashchina, just basking in the glory of Hashem, in their relationship with Hashem, ve'en chozrim la'afron, and will never die. So we're talking about, on the one hand, a physical existence, because we're talking about the human body. And we're saying that the body was resurrected and revived and we won't die. On the other hand, we don't we won't have the need of breakfast, lunch, and supper and brunch and a nighttime snack. In other words, we're not going to be so dependent on all the physical things that were that now are sort of commonplace because we will live a much more ruchniistic spiritual life, although we'll still be in physical bodies. And that's the interesting fusion that there will ultimately be, be between the physical and the spiritual. We'll be physical people in a physical world, and yet we won't need the regular physical nutrients to live. We'll be able to live based on our direct and open connection with Hashem. And so I, I want to finish with an interesting discussion, which is because we read in the Gemara and the Medrash about a great su'uda, a great feast that will be in that time. We talk about the show... The, the Shor Habar and the Liv Yasan and the Yayin Hamishumar. And the Gemara talks about this fabulous, expansive feast. And the question is, but if we're not going to eat and drink, so what do we need the Shor Habar for? What do we need the Liv Yasan for? And the Mefarshim, the different commentators were puzzled by this. Because if we reach a level 
of such spiritual ecstasy and connection to Hashem that we don't need to eat or drink. So what's this business with the wine? And what's the business with the ox? And what's the business with the fish? So very quickly, the Rebbe brings from different Mepharshim. He says, some of them say, well, that that Seuda, that feast will be in Yimos HaMashiach, not in Trias HaMesim. So it will be in the first period of time when Mashiach came, but not after Trias HaMesim, which would solve the problem. That, that, that's one way of solving the problem, that that great feast will be in the first era. Um, another um, explanation, and actually Rabbi Avram, the son of the Rambam, writes that. Um, another explanation given by the Rashba, Rabbeinu Bechayi, is that it will be right in the beginning of the time of Trias HaMesim. Just in the beginning of Trias HaMesim, then we'll still enjoy the good wine and meat of the Sharabor and Livyasim. Interestingly, the Rebbe, um, the Rebbe suggests his own answer. And that's a fascinating answer, and I want to finish with that. The Rebbe says, no, it's going to be after Tchiyas HaMesim. And the truth is, we don't need to eat at that time. But that eating will be a holy eating, a, a, a very spiritual, ruchnistiki eating of that meat and that fish and that wine. So the Rebbe says it's not a contradiction. On the one hand, we won't need, our physical bodies won't need the physical nutrients of food in order to live, but still Hashem will want to give us that because that's going to be such a special and holy occasion and led by the greatest tzaddikim that says that Avram Avinu will be that, by that meal and Yitzchak and Yaakov and David HaMelech will, will lead the benching and Mashiach will lead that meal. And therefore, the Rebbe says it's not a steer at all, it's not a contradiction that no, we won't need it to live and yet Hashem will grant us and give us that great gilu, that great revelation of that great seuda that will be led by Mashiach Tzidkenu and all the great tzaddikim that lived all the years that will all come back to be with us. Listen, so Hashem should help and Hashem, we should all be zeicha to Yimai Samashiach and Bia Samashiach and Tchia Samesim and all of these things. Bikar of Mamash, I have to say it was, uh, it was really a pleasure learning with you going through these Yud of the Thirteen Principles of Faith. It's the first time that I learned it, um, that, I, that, I, that I taught it, that is, and therefore it uh, made me learn it in a much uh, better way than I ever learned it before. And I appreciate that. And it was, uh, and even in the difficulties of going from personal uh, classes, we went to uh, online classes, and nevertheless we kept on learning. And Hashem should help that the continuation of our learning should be as our as all these shurim have been leading up to the coming of Mashiach in Yushalayim Irakodesh. Amir Hashem, and we'll let you know the details of when we start over again, Amir Hashem.